0: Hello and welcome to Privacy Paths. Today we are talking ad tech. I'm Tom Cooper, Deputy Editor of Privacy Laws and Business Publications, and I'm delighted to be joined down the line from Canada by Abigail Dubinetsky, Privacy Lawyer, Speaker, Writer and Trainer with an interest in ad tech and privacy technology in general. The sense I'm getting with ad tech is that things have been looking like they were going to change for a time and there's been a sort of a buildup of this and we're now at a critical phase. Is that how you read the situation as well?
1: Absolutely. And uh, one point, Tom, that I think is worth mentioning is that those pressures are not coming so much from the regulator, the Information Commissioner's Office, but from the market and from consumer demand. So I think that's what's what's sort of been a bit of a surprise is that last year the ICO came out with a scathing report on effectively finding that, you know, ad tech and real-time bidding was fundamentally non-compliant and horribly unfair. Um, and, uh, and sort of threatened that there would be a lot of action and then there was no real enforcement action. So things went in two ways. Some, uh, advertisers and publishers and industry actors kind of breathed a sigh of relief and continued business as usual, while others set about looking for alternatives and planning um, for, you know, innovative responses and alternatives. So the priv community really stepped up there. Um, but at the same time, we also had pressures from consumer demand and other jurisdictions like California to find alternative ways of delivering advertising so all those things together including you know platform changes are the things that are really pushing it uh, and exerting pressure now
0: well oh, that's that's very interesting because i guess um i tend to focus on the regulatory side of things right and maybe think less about the market but there is sort of the strong consumer pressure isn't there i mean with the sort of I don't know, we've seen media stories and there's also that sort of slightly creepy feeling sometimes when you're on the internet that you are being watched and targeted with advertising. So people are actually genuinely starting to react to that, are they?
1: I would argue they've been reacting to that for some time now. They've been um, voting with their clicks or their lack of clicks with add-ons, ad blockers, tracker blockers, VPNs. I mean, there's no shortage of tools of what I call uh, digital self-defense. It's a term I borrowed from data ethics, uh, think, do tank. Um, And Doc Searles, who's a a big critic of of ad tech as it stands right now, has called it the biggest consumer boycott in history. So... uh, Consumers have been trying to wrestle back control over their data and their privacy for some time now. And I think now markets are starting to respond.
0: Okay, so in terms of of businesses, uh, that's that market pressure. They're obviously feeling that. And what, what sorts of ways are they reacting to that?
1: Um, First, can we just take a step back just to explain some of those market pressures? So a few things that made a big splash were, you know, we already had the the popular private browsers like Brave and Firefox, which, you know, automatically blocked third-party cookie and trackers and and so on. But then Apple decided to do the same, you know, across its Safari browser, and that had a knock-on effect, and effectively all the major browsers except for Chrome were doing that. And then. Finally, uh, Google announced that eventually it was going to phase out um, the third-party cookie as well in Chrome. And so now Google's created its privacy sandbox. So that happened. Then um, at the recent worldwide development, um, the Apple's uh, big developer conference, they announced that they're going to require users to actively opt in to being to sharing their ad ID on their mobile device um, for third-party tracking or tracking across the web and across wherever Um, so with people being told this will you know if you opt in this will allow us to track what you're doing everywhere and share this data with third parties the likelihood of people actively opting into that I think is quite low so we have a lot of people in the marketplace arguing that this is really just strangling the mobile ad id Um, so that's another source of data that's being cut off so the, um, the IAB Europe has actually posted a guide and they've got a working group on the post third-party car- cookie era, basically saying, we're not going to be able to rely on third-party cookies. And now in the app world, we've got uh, Apple basically strangling the mobile ID. And then you've got Google that's facing a, a complaint by none other than Max Schrems, none of your business, who's had some success, we can say, Going against big tech um, for, you know, not really offering us the opportunity as Android users to opt out entirely of an ad ID. So I don't think it'll be long before the ad ID dies or is um, suffocated uh, on Android devices as well. So that's a big uh, pressure from the platforms. And then how do people respond? Well, I think we're already seeing it. So, uh, some of us have the Brave browser and we get, um, our push notifications. They're, you know, targeted ads that don't use, uh, don't collect or centralize personal data. Um, I've been seeing Amazon and a lot of big companies advertising that way. So that's interesting that they're jumping over. We have, um, big retailers like Walmart creating their own first party data stores and ad tech, um, ad ad servers and and opportunities we're seeing that sort of stuff happen and then in the marketplace we're seeing a lot of you know ad servers that are proudly proclaiming that you know when you want to send ads out through us you know we'll it's it's your data we don't share it with anybody else um you know in the article I, i go through a lot more detail and i won't go into all of it here but it's just interesting to see all of these different options coming up and then even aside from that, you have things like Good Loop, where people are looking at other ways of delivering video ads voluntarily to people, where people opt in and they're rewarded by being able to choose which charity they want to contribute a portion of the ad funds to. So we're really seeing a shakeup in the marketplace in terms of what's available to us.
0: Just to mention that uh, the article Abigail's referring to, she's uh, written a front page article in the current Privacy Laws and Business UK report covering much of this uh, some of this area and with some um, suggestions about how a DPO can actually take some of these market changes if you like to the to the board and to secure change in an organization which is um, which is very interesting We're talking about a lot of money in this market as well aren't we I, I've got some figures kicking around here the global figure of 384 billion US dollars as a 2020 estimate so it's a massive market for digital display advertising, I guess you'd call that. So there's sort of the the capitalization and the money flow in that market to actually secure real change, isn't there? It's not something that's going to have to be done on a shoestring, in effect.
1: Yeah, I mean, there is. Um, One thing that I think is important to recognize, though, is how many different bit players are involved in that who take their cut along the way Uh, I've referred to it as just another Ponzi scheme I mean there's so much that's that's really I I, to be fair that's a bit harsh however ad fraud is rampant there are bots and fake news sites that are taking ad revenue for not really giving you any kind of audience so um, one of the people that I quote in uh, in the article is uh, Dr. I think it's um, Dr. Fu, who's, uh, he writes a lot for Forbes, he's an ad fraud expert, and he um, is one of the biggest critics, you know, even though he comes from the ad tech world himself, he's one of the biggest critics of ad tech as it stands right now, and he calls it digital snake oil. And part of the reason, and this is where data protection uh, professionals will appreciate this, um, is that It's such an opaque and complex data supply chain, it's really hard to draw a straight line from beginning to end in terms of where your data goes. And of course, we know as privacy and data protection professionals, you have a legal obligation to do that, right? Um, But it's also in your interest as a business to be able to trace it from beginning to end, to know that it actually reached the recipient that you intended, that it actually is being used appropriately, because another issue around this, um, what some people have referred to as leakage is that, you know, you've got other people, other companies that are benefiting either from enriching Facebook's algorithms with your company data and their data all being pulled together, giving everyone supposedly the same advantage. Uh, hardly gives you any kind of unique advantage when it comes to your own prize data. The other piece is that it's broadcast and shared and repackaged and compared and, you know, um, enhanced and enriched and you know, at the end of it, who knows where it goes. And I've used the expression, it's more like feeding the beast, right? And you get, um, you, you give a lot more than you get in a lot of ways. It's like having, so you think about app developers, mobile app developers, they integrate all sorts of SDKs or software development kits into their apps. And those funnel data directly to all of these different third parties who then share it on, they won't give you back the raw data just like Google with its um, analytics, just like any of the other big tech um, suppliers that you use with widgets and so on, it all goes to them, but they will not share that raw data back with you. And so it's almost like saying, I've got a field full of this very rich oil or what could potentially be oil, it's crude, I guess. Um, And yeah, you can go ahead, you can put a pipeline, you can give me a few pennies, um, maybe share a barrel or two once in a while, but I don't know what happens with the rest of it. And that's totally fine. Oh, but by the way, if there's any blowback, so for example, there's a pipe leakage or there's some kind of, you know, which would be a data breach or there's some other toxic thing that happens. I will bear all of the liability for it. And by the way, when you read the standard terms, that's exactly how they write it. So, you know, we've got all of these companies that are pretty much signing on to something. I don't think they're getting a fair value exchange as companies. And they're being told by integrating these SDKs, they automatically agree to all of these terms, which are non-negotiable kind of sounds familiar when you think of what it's like for a data subject, you know, who downloads an app or, you know, goes onto a website and is pretty much presented with a non-choice, right? So they're getting the same kind of treatment that they're giving to their own individual data subjects as well.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, you've, you've covered a lot there. So I, I kind of wanted to move into that area as well. I mean, branding and privacy as a sort of a, almost a branding differentiator is, is is becoming quite important for companies. So is that nudging them a, a, again towards a, a more privacy-centered approach to internet advertising?
1: Absolutely. And I, I want to pick up on something that you said earlier on when you, you know, your first thought is about the regulator. Um, one of the, Step one that I mentioned in the articles is think like a marketer and act like a privacy pro. Your chief marketing officer or whoever's in charge of that has a huge amount of stress on them right now um, to perform and to produce results and to take a leap of faith and try something new because the regulator may or may not wake up and impose a fine is not a particularly compelling argument. What is a compelling argument is the Cisco report that said that there are a whole slew of what they call privacy actives who happen to be in a very juicy demographic that is particularly sought after who will make private make consumer decisions based on their perception of how their data is being handled and what the fair value exchange is so it's a brand differentiator that companies who understand this are really championing and trumpeting and where you'll find it interesting and it's another point that i mentioned in the article is we need to be experts in data protection and privacy and there's enough to keep us busy 120% of the time just keeping on top of that. I get that. But every once in a while, we need to step away and actually look at what our client is reading. And what struck me, particularly recently, but even as far back as, you know, two two or three years ago, is how much they're talking about this in marketing circles. So the drum, which is a big uh, digital and marketing um, Uh, magazine. They have a number of things online as well. They had their big digital transformation festival. And there was a, a session on Brands We Trust where they specifically spent the entire time talking about this. And a lot of it for them was this notion of, you know, your brand, especially now in the time of COVID, where people have time on their hands, where they're starting to really think critically about lifestyle and contemplating changes in the way they do things. This is where your brand image is so important and right now consumers are associating how you treat their data and what they consider to be fair or unfair in terms of their interactions with you with your brand and more than anything cmos are charged with protecting and promoting the brand right now so it's in their interest to get this right not to say in their privacy notice Oh, we'll respond to your data subject access request to the extent required by law, which is just basically uh, thumbing your nose at people and saying, we'll only do it if we have to. As opposed to, you look at Microsoft that went ahead and made their privacy dashboard available across the world, even though only the EU required data subject access rights to be made available and found the biggest uptake was in the US, uh, Japan and the UK. So, you know, clearly um, there's an interest amongst regular consumers to know what's happening.
0: So it sounds like there's the potential anyway for us to be in quite a healthy place coming up because we've got, uh, we've got consumer pressure. We've got pressure from companies and mm-hmm. we've got technical change and, uh, regulatory change. And it, it sounds like they might all be coming together where we've got a potential at this point to move towards a sort of much healthier ad ecosystem online, which is good for consumers and good for companies as well.
1: Absolutely. And we're actually even finding as well that, um, a lot of the, the notions of, oh, you have to have, you know, 25 different data points on this individual to properly target them, that's just not borne out by the evidence. So you're taking on a lot of liability. You're creeping people out. Um, you may not even be getting accurate data because they're using all kinds of devices and add-ons to confuse you. Um, but what you are doing is turning them off. So if you can move to something like contextual intelligence, which is mentioned in the um, IAB report, it's highly sophisticated now. Then there's, you know, zero-knowledge ad targeting, um, you know, like what we have with Brave ads, for example. Um, And then you've got, you know, direct to consumer relationships, using things like personal data accounts, like uh, DataSwift, formerly known as the hat, hub of all things, where people can give you very, very rich insights using edge AI that's built into their own personal data account and transact with you directly. That is the coveted relationship to have, much more so than diluted you know data that's passed on um, you know that may or may not reflect an individual in the moment uh, that they're in right now. um so I think I think, yeah, there are all these different forces converging at once, and by the time the privacy regulation is ever updated, I think industry will be way ahead of them
0: in a way we're talking about a situation where we should be more aware of the market and the regulation, the regulation or te- those sorts of changes are actually following the market rather than leading. That's a very interesting um, sort of point to sort of start to to bring things to a close. Um, thanks ever so much uh, for your time, Abigail. And I, I did enjoy reading your article in, in privacy laws and business as well. Um, is there a way um, we can find out more about your consultancy or if people want to get in touch with you online, can they do that?
1: right i think the best way to get in touch with me is through my linkedin profile i'm pretty active there uh so it's www.linkedin.com slash i n slash abigail d so abigail d is spelled a-b-i-g-a-i-l-d
0: okay thanks for that abigail we'll post a few links from this discussion on uh, the privacy laws social media which uh, includes privacy laws on twitter uh, we're also on on LinkedIn and Facebook and you can subscribe to our reports uh, on privacylaws.com and you can even buy individual reports if you want to read Abigail's article in, uh, in particular. Thanks for listening to Privacy Paths. Please subscribe to our podcast and we look forward to your company again in future.